Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Man, God is so good, isn't he? You know, we're looking at the book of 1 Peter and it's so relevant today. I know that some of you, and even myself included, have faced challenges that we maybe never faced before. And actually, what we're going to be looking at next week, because it was supposed to be this week, but I only got halfway through my sermon first service, but it talks about the manifold trials that people face. Where does the word manifold come from? Well, manifold means many folds. And sometimes if you can picture like a huge drape, and you would begin to draw it, and found out that as you're pulling the curtain open, there was another trial like one right after another. Have you ever had a season in your life where it just seems like every fold unfolds and you go, oh no, not another one. And then you're actually tempted to feel as though, you know, is the Lord with me? I want us to understand today that um, you cannot measure the good hand of God in your life based upon where the circumstances are going your way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So today, because I messed up in the first service and didn't get as far as I should, we're going to lay a foundation for the other, uh, other part of the sermon. So that's just great. So let's look in our Bibles at 1 Peter, and let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. This amazing epistle written by an apostle. What I love as we look at this passage is that we're looking at a man who came from a simple town and simple beginnings. And yet here he is writing a book of the scriptures. If there's anything that we would want, I would think, is to look at a man who got to where God wanted him to be. Now that is a great thought. I want to get to where God intends for me to be. And so let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll pray and invite the Lord's blessing on the, on the scriptures. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Lord, let your blessing rest upon the word, the word of God, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would look into the word of of God 
and that when we look into it and we see what needs to change, that we will change. I pray, Lord God, that you would have your way through the word of God and also the Holy Spirit quickens and empowers the word. Holy Spirit, come to the word of the Lord. Come to the word of the Lord and make it powerful to our hearts and come to our hearts and prepare our hearts and set our parts of heart to receive the word of God. Holy Spirit, you are always welcome in this gathering of believers. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In order to understand the epistles, which are the letters that are written to the church, I think that a lot of times we separate them from the original purpose and intent. And I believe that is because they're separated sometimes and taught outside of the context of the story of Jesus and the revelation that he gave. And they're separated even from the book of Acts, which reveals to us is that it's meant to be moving forward in the power of God. What am I talking about here? When it comes to the epistles and the letters written to the churches, it brings a lot of instruction and order to how the church is, is meant to function and, and even how we are to behave. Now, that is so important, isn't it? But sometimes I'm finding that the majority of preaching inside the church is running to the epistles because there's something in human nature that rather than be intuitive to the, to the, um, the voice of God, the presence of God, and the power of God working in our lives, let's run to the rules on how to do church. Let's go to structure. I'm not saying that the epistles are less inspired or less valuable than the Gospels. But think of this in the context of the apostles. We have to think about the fact that they were spreading the message of the, the kingdom of God and of the kingdom of God and of the power of God, of the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and the love of God. So they weren't trying to bring rules for order, though they are necessary, at the expense of us experiencing Jesus and the person of Jesus. And then on top of all of that, I find people dissecting like the letters of the Apostle Paul and the letter First Peter written by the Apostle Peter, and they dissect it, and they break it down into the original Greek and all those kind of things, but they never study it in order to pursue the same power that Paul walked in, that Peter walked in, in the book of Acts. It becomes completely irrelevant. And then churches become institutions of rules. And that's not what God intended from the very beginning. So my prayer even last evening and thinking about today is that as we study the, apostle, uh, the apostles Peter's writing in 1 Peter, that we would never remember the foundation laid by Jesus Christ himself concerning the kingdom of God, and we will never forget the power of the book of Acts. Yes, amen. Peter here is writing about a journey, a journey from obscurity, fishermen, to one day Jesus showing up in his life meeting him in the condition he found himself at that moment. No matter what condition he was in, and there, the Bible reveals that there was a lot he had to work through. But God met him where he was at, and then Jesus brought him through a process. Yes. So he went from humble beginnings to fishermen, including, I'm sure, just the skill of fishing, but I'm sure as well, business side of things, the value of the fish and all that kind of thing then to becoming 
a simple follower of Jesus and had Jesus working on him day after day after day and then come into the office of an apostle. Now, when I hear that, it just tells me something. Do I not want to know the instructions of a man who got to where God intended him to be? I want to discover what was this man's journey like? How did he think? Because it's important for me. And so as I'm looking at 1 Peter, I'm realizing that all of us can relate to the simplicity of his beginning, the process of God working in us that we would become more like Christ, and then enter into the fullness of our calling. So he refers himself to, as a, to himself as an apostle, which means a messenger. And the apostle Paul, I'm sorry, I'll do that all morning long. The apostle Peter, the apostle Peter saw himself as an apostle and as a messenger of the Lord. Well, you know, what was his message? His message, message is the same message as our message. As I read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, Here's what I read. After Jesus had risen from the dead, it says that there were 11 disciples that proceeded to Galilee. Now think of the frame of mind. 11 disciples. It's telling us that. It's reminding us of that. It already told us that Judas Judas had committed suicide. Imagine doing life with 12 people and now one of your own betrayed and he had committed suicide. Can you imagine the gut punch of that? Right? Right? Plus, I believe that they had just gone through the trauma of having all hope deferred because they invested in Jesus and Jesus had invested in them and then he was dead. No, he was not just dead. He was stone cold dead. They watched it and it was a brutal process. And though that they were going to have an encounter with the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sure that the trauma of what had happened over the last few days that the agita deep inside of them was still working. Trauma. Peter is writing about this journey that included 12 being reduced to 11. And then it says this, that when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. So, wow, Crazy world Peter's living in. You know, hope deferred, all lost, trauma, not even knowing what the future is, even looking at the risen Jesus, it wasn't fully revealed to them. Hey, you're going to write a book someday, Peter, and it's going to be included in the scriptures, and you're going to transform the lives of people for 2,000 years. Uh, No, it was just like, he's leaving us, he's telling us that. I gave up my job. I'm a married man. I, you know, we're so ripping unpopular right now. We've been identified with someone who was tried as a criminal, and then people are standing back and just saying, were they right? I mean, look at them. They were all bragging about being followers of Christ. And, and where did it get them? Well, one of them, it got so bad, he committed suicide. Man, it's a lot to process. It says that some worshiped and some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is speaking to them and giving them instructions that includes us. This is instructions all the way to the end of the age. I want to know how Peter thought. A simple man, a simple follower of Jesus Christ. I want to get to the point where I would be willing to lay down my life the way he did. That level of commitment. He just said, Jesus said, I've, given, I've received all authority. I want you to go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You might just be wanting to say, hey, Jesus, I, thank you, but I need a little bit more than that. I mean, what's the cost here? What's the price? And Jesus just said, go and disciple all nations. He said, I want you to change nations. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Teach the nations. All the things that I've instructed you. Wow. Little did they know the price that they were about to pay. So the Father, Jesus preached about the Father. He preached about the kingdom of God. He preached about the power of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the unlimited resources for for all of us. So we find out that Paul begins his letter just by saying, I'm an apostle, I'm a messenger. And before you think that the call of God means you're lofty, he actually just says, we have become, the apostles, the scum of the earth. So now we look back on apostles, you know, and maybe it's because the church has painted them with fancy robes on, but the apostle Peter, you know, was just scum of the earth. Not in heaven's eyes. He was beautiful in heaven, but he was scum of the earth. And when you think about all of that, he says, I'm a messenger. And we realize that the qualifications for an apostle, when Judas took his life, they said, we need to find a replacement for him. Because heaven does have a plan with the 12 tribes of Israel and with the 12 apostles. It's actually... The glory of their lives, the 12 tribes and of the apostles, will see, be seen in, in the new Jerusalem in heaven. So they said, we need to pick another apostle. And who did they pick it from? They picked it from one who they said, it has to be someone who has seen the risen Christ. So they picked out of that group of individuals. Because the trial was going to be so great that the apostle the apostles actually felt that unless that person had seen Christ himself, we can't trust him with the office of an apostle. Now, that was out of their limited understanding, and I want you to know, in looking in the book of Acts, I don't believe that they actually did it the way God would have them do. You know what they did to pick the 12th apostle? They drew straws. (laughs) Now, I trust that God can work through any process, but... Actually, at that point yet, we have to understand the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen at Pentecost. And they couldn't trust in the resource of the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart. So they had no other resource. Okay, let's, tr- let's draw straws and trust that this is going to work out the way it's supposed to. And so even for us today, we have to understand that the apostles in their limited understanding just said, you know what, if they haven't seen the risen Jesus, we don't know if they're qualified to be an apostle. But I love the fact a little later on in this book, he says, but you know what, after the Holy Spirit had fallen, he said, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Because once the Holy Spirit had come to the church, then they knew, wait, you can really encounter Jesus even though you haven't seen him. Because the Spirit of God, God is a three-in-one, the Spirit of God, who the Bible also calls the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, He can come and live inside of you. You can actually experience God when you experience the Holy Spirit. And so who does he say after he says it called to be an impossible? He says, and I'm writing this to strangers who are scattered. Here's the most amazing thing about who he is writing to, strangers. And whenever you're a stranger, you begin to see yourself as strange. And everybody else sees you as strange when you're a stranger. And suddenly people who believed in Jesus found themselves being strangers. And the Apostle Peter says, I need to write to you guys. Why were they strangers? Because he mentions all the places that they were scattered. That, means, that word there means dispersed. He's writing to strangers. Why, who are these strangers who are living where they didn't grow up? Well, he's writing to the scattered church of Jerusalem. He's writing to them because of great, great persecution had come to the church there. They were fleeing everywhere. Imagine this. You're, there's 12 of you that feel called to change the world by God and to get the power of God to fall upon the church. The laying on of hands, the distribution of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Lord falling upon the New Testament church. And they were responsible for this, and one of them committed suicide. And the Messiah had allowed there to be three days of tremendous trauma, and that, the, that, that Jerusalem, even after they crucified him, the leaders still weren't willing, and, and they weren't accepting them. And because of that, they, they suddenly, imagine if that, our church had gone through that. One of our small group had committed suicide in the, in the pursuit of the same commitment we were all after. Well, then, that trauma caused great part of the persecution that came upon the church. Stephen, in Acts chapter 8, it says that he was stoned. Imagine if in the last week, one of our family here had been killed by the power structures of their day merely because they believed in Jesus Christ, what would be the mindset right now in our gathering, right? What would be we be thinking? It tells us in Acts chapter 8 that after Stephen was stoned, a great persecution... Now, I can't even imagine what that leaves, means. A great persecution came against the believers in Jerusalem. So what happened? Well, if it happened to us this week, you know what today would probably look like? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are, are you going to hold on to your business? Are you going to hold on to your house? Is it worth it? And then someone says, well, I have kids. I'm going to have to go. I'd stay here if it was just me standing with the apostles who weren't going to leave. But here, here's the truth. I, I have children. It's my responsibility to make sure that they're going to be okay. i got to get out from underneath the pressure cooker of all of this. And so what happened? The New Testament church was scattered. And the apostle Paul says, I'm writing to you as strangers, but I'm also writing to you as chosen. Isn't uh, Man... If you unwrap that in your head, it's just 
amazing because the Lord's saying you can live in this world and be a strange stranger, but in that environment, you can still live as the chosen. Chosen of the Lord. Now, when I think about that, you have to understand that these people were being persecuted, some of them because they were Jewish and Christian. And the Jews were resisting Rome, and, and Christians were being persecuted by Rome and by the Jewish leaders. And so it was like a double whammy for a lot of them. But just think about this. What were the Jews? What do we call them even to this day? God's chosen people. So now here's what's happening. They had faced a lot of trauma, and we find out in, in the middle of all of that that they were being persecuted, and they might be tempted to think, is God with us like he was with the Jews? And the whole idea is, is this, is that not only if you're, what, what if you weren't Jewish? Has God chosen you like he chose the Jews? Has God chosen you like he chose Abraham? Has God chosen you like he chose Isaac? Like he chose Jacob? Has God chosen you like he chose Moses? And the apostle Peter wants them to know, you are chosen. Jesus made that perfectly clear. Peter had to get through the trauma of one of his own committing suicide and then the Messiah being crucified on the cross with all the evidence, the spear in the side, the blood flowing, and he had to remember these words, the words of Jesus that got him through the darkest day of their life. Jesus said to them, you have not chosen me, disciples, but I have chosen you. Amen. And the way that you can get through life is understanding this. You didn't choose God. God chose you. If you chose God, you could unchoose him. But if God chose you, you can't unchose choose his choice. It's God that's after you. God is on your side. You're going through all kinds of trouble, but here's the rock in your life, and this is the anchor. You are chosen by God. And the apostle Paul said, he who began a good work in you is gonna finish it. I'm telling you this, that when God made the earth and he created the stars in the heavens, that he didn't stop until he was done. And every day he said it's good. And then at the last day he says, okay, now it's very good. Why? How do you get good from good to very good? When the job is done. You can be good along the way, but you're not very good until you finish the task. And the promise for God for you is to finish what he began in you. That's your calling. That's your destiny. And you know what? That's what makes you fearless. It gives you room to make a mistake, to step out of the boat, even though you might sink. It lets you take risks because you've been chosen. Called by the Lord and other people will come to you in the hour of your greatest trial and they'll remind you of your past and the things that you've done to explain to you why you're disqualified and why you're having so many troubles and this is why you lost your job, and this is why you're poor. This is why you miscarried. This is why you had a divorce. Everybody is here in the world to remind you of why you're not chosen. And the apostle Peter held on to it, and he wouldn't let it go. You know why? Because it was tested when he had lost all hope. 
He lost all hope. And somewhere, this is one of the things we can learn from Peter's journey. He came to the conclusion, I will never again doubt the fact that I was chosen by God. I don't feel as fancy as the Jewish nation. I don't feel like I have the qualifications of Moses. But I'm telling you this. I've landed in this reality. I'm chosen by God. And he says this in our text in verse 2. I was chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, first thing I want to look at that formula to your salvation. What formula is working in you? If anybody comes to you and tries to deny the Trinity of Jesus Christ, the Trinity of God in the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, you take him right to this verse. What's working inside of you, he didn't include any other name. He didn't include an apostle and that work. And so he didn't include a prophet. He says when it comes to you being chosen, there's the three that are involved in that. The foreknowledge of God the Father. The sanctifying and setting apart of you, you were set apart to God's purpose by the Holy Spirit. You had the Father, the, the, the Spirit, and then he says it's all happening by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are working inside of you. That's why God said before he made man, let us make man in our image. And God made man in his own image. And that's why you and I are a three in one. Scriptures reveal that we are body, soul, and spirit. God is a three in one. I believe that the soul reflects the, the Father part of God. I believe that your spirit side relates to the spirit of God. And I believe that your body rep, uh, relates to God who walked in flesh and faced many trials, Jesus did, and he did it perfectly before the Father. I love the Trinity, the three in one that saved me. I've been elected according to the foreknowledge of God. God has chosen me according to his foreknowledge. Oh, listen, I'm very well aware of the debate over the idea of election and being chosen by God. But the thing that we need to understand is that this idea of being chosen and being elected is always put in the context of the foreknowledge of God. God is the one in the book of James we learn that knows the beginning to the end. You've been elect according to the foreknowledge of God and chosen to be a son and daughter of God, which means this, that you will come into the full destiny of your father. You have been chosen and elected to be like Christ. How does that happen? By having this little tiny window in our eternal existence where we, where we experience manifold trials, the scripture says. We're light in a dark world. Jesus said all who would live godly in Christ, uh, um, the scriptures teach us all who would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You can't live for Jesus without trouble. You just can't. You know why? You're swimming against the flow the entire time. And in all of this, we realize that we've been chosen, predestinated, according to the foreknowledge of God. God knew everything from the beginning. When you came to Christ, God wasn't sitting up in heaven saying, oh, wow, I didn't expect that one. Didn't happen. 
Did you know that you were loved before he made the worlds? Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Oh, he doesn't say he's given us every earthly privilege and blessing. I do believe that he blesses us on the earth. But actually we have to realize that God prioritizes spiritual blessing. And here's the reality. He will not give you an earthly blessing if it will be at the expense of you knowing a spiritual blessing. Because the Bible says that kind of prayer is heaping it upon your lusts and upon your flesh. God does not answer that kind of prayer. He will prioritize your spiritual blessing. So we bless God for that. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. God chose you before the foundations of the world were laid. And he knew you and he loved you. You think your relationship with God began just on the day that you got saved? No, you were in the mind and in the heart of God a very long time ago. And what did he choose you? What did he predestine you to? Well, the apostle Paul said it right there, that you would be declared holy and blameless. What does holy mean? It's linked to the word whole. It's linked to the word health in English. That God's saying, you are predestined to be complete. Now listen, I'm not going to experience that in its fullness in this life, but God's going to do all the work he needs to do in my life to experience that enemy that's coming against my very existence. And some things I will experience in this life, but ultimately what I will experience of coming into the fullness of the destiny of being declared holy and blameless, I will experience the the realization of that in its fullness when I enter into heaven. The Bible says that the moment I see Jesus, I will be like him because I will behold his glory. The power of the glance of Jesus upon you and I is so great that it brings immediate transformation. But right now, I stand in the position of realizing that in eternity past, God in his foreknowledge saw that I would believe. And he declared, Jim, I'm declaring over you. Long before you sinned, I'm going to declare you holy and blameless. Before I had a chance to screw it up, he said, Jim, you're holy and blameless. It was set in stone, eternity stone. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we're realizing that it's telling us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be, and this is the phrase I really want to focus on, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter just began the letter, and always, he's already breaking out in praise to God. He says, there's something I really want to bless God for, something that really means the world to me. If it meant the world to Peter, I want to get there. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say you need a remodel. 
He didn't say you're a fixer-upper. He didn't say I'm going to put a patch on your life. What the Lord had actually said, excuse me, lost my train of thought. What the Lord had actually said is, you're going to start out brand new. It's not a fix-up of the old life. There will never be an opportunity for me to point at your pre-Christ moment and accuse you of anything. As you're being tried, as you're going through doubts and fears, I am never going to bring up your past. Ever. I will never bring up your past. That's a good lesson for all of us to learn. Don't ever bring up a person's past. As I look at this passage right here, I have a living hope. Born again to a living hope. What? According to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul went through a process. And I wouldn't doubt that each and every believer, when we get to heaven, we're going to discover that we had to go through the same process. They came to the point where they were without hope. And being without hope, they had to realize the fact that Christ rose from the dead stirred in them an understanding in in Peter. I will never, ever be hopeless again. I learned that lesson once and for all. I will never give hope up hope again. Here's the thing that we need to realize. Hope is necessary to our survival. You can't survive without hope. It's amazing to me that culturally we have thrown out God. And what's been the result? Among the children, teenagers, sense of hopelessness. And a sense of despair. They can't even press through. Where even just giving up on your life is one of the options for them. And here we have the Apostle Peter who had a a very close individual commit suicide. And he had to wrestle through all of that. He had to wrestle through tremendous trials. And he said, I will never be hopeless again. I have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to know today, if you do not have hope, you will not be able to survive in this world. If you do not have hope, that no matter what, whether you see the results you expected in this world or not, you know that everything you've done for God will receive God's reward on the other side. Jesus says there's nothing that you and do in secret that will not someday be revealed openly in heaven. There's, no, there's not the tiniest sacrifice that you've made that God isn't determined That he will make sure that you will enter into the glory and the power and the honor of praise when everything is revealed. I want you to know today, if you don't have hope, you don't have courage. Because hope allows you to say, 
I'm going to do what I need to do and I don't know what the results are going to be, but heaven is the place where I expect. If the reward doesn't come in this life, it's coming in the next. And I know it without a doubt. If you do not have hope, you do not have courage. It's impossible to have courage without hope. When I think about when I was in Israel living on the kibbutz, I heard Hatikva saying over and over again. It means the hope. The hope. It was the national anthem of Israel. Israel was born in 1948. Do you know when the words of Hatikva were written? The hope? They were written in 1878. Before the nation of Israel had been born, a song rocked the Jewish world. It was written in Poland. Poland that would see three and a half million Jews killed just because they were Jewish. Where three and a half million Jews were killed came a poem called The Hope. Even in the middle of testing and adversity, what did they do? They held on to the hope. They held on to the hope, and here's the truth. If they hadn't held on to hope, they would have never realized the birthing of the nation of Israel. And here's what we need to understand about hope. What do I learn from the apostle Peter that got him from fisherman to apostle? Is that there was a trial that came to his life, and he just realized this. The only way I can come into the full realization of my destiny is if I don't lose hope. Never give up on hope. Why? Because you have a living hope. Your hope is a person. It's Jesus Christ himself. And Christ lives inside of you. And the Lord would say to us today, if you ever lose sight, if you ever lose faith, if you ever, if you're only able to perceive, if to immediate reward, immediate results, and you don't live for the eternal reward, you will not come into the actualization of all that God has for you. A living hope. Can't help but think about after the crucifixion of Jesus, he appeared to two men, and they weren't allowed to see who he was. The Lord hid their eyes, but they were talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, why do you have so much despair? And they talked about the crucifixion of the one they were following. And they said, but, but we were hoping that it was he that was going to redeem Israel. That's just a beautiful glimpse into the heart of the apostles. We were hoping is there anything that you were hoping for that you haven't seen? Not yet. Has, has midnight struck its 12 bells and the deadline came and went? The Lord would say to you, where is your hope? In results or is a living hope in Jesus? The apostle Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you might know the hope of his calling. Then in verse 4, and we'll have to wrap up here. 
It says, we have hope that we're going to retain, obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. It will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you know why some of our rewards don't come in this life? Because this world tends to tarnish things, tends to rust things. If you have to choose between a reward coming in this life or your reward being in heaven, the Lord says the rewards in heaven are uncorruptible and undefiled. And they're waiting in heaven for you. Some people, as I say that, are thinking, oh, I wish I had that kind of confidence in my eternal life. I'm telling you, right now, you can have it by the power of the working of the Holy Spirit. If you meet him for real, you can know that you're right with God. But let me just say this as well. You better resolve that issue once and for all. Because you will live for immediate results. And Jesus has taught us that earthly rewards hinder heavenly rewards. Jesus said you can get your reward on earth and lose it in heaven. So here's what we, we need to understand in all of this. Trials, hardships, persecution, struggles, troubles, disappointments. I'll never forget the night that I shook this like this at heaven. I was so disappointed in the process and my expectation of what God was going to do. I'm not proud of that. Wish that had never happened in my life. But thanks for the forgiveness and the mercy of God, right? Yeah. And I did one of these with God. And then the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, well, now where did that get you? <laughs> That's biting the hand that feeds you. And then I just resolved in my heart. Doubting, doubting God and his love for me in the middle of a trial, not allowed. Doubting him, not allowed. I can wallow in doubt. I can go there if I want, but you know what? I don't go there. You know why? doesn't work. When I lose hope in my expectation of what God was going to do, I end up selling the realization of what I wanted to see from God. I don't want to sell them out. Don't want to sell them out early. God can do anything. Can you say amen? Let's all stand up this morning. God, I thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness and kindness. I thank you, God, we didn't chose you. You chose us. I thank you for choosing us before we could even live a life that made you change your mind. I thank you that you have come to declare and predestine and determine and elect people to be holy and blameless. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, move upon the heart of every man and woman that's here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would grace each heart today with strength. You said particularly as the day approaches of the coming of Christ when it's 
there will be more challenges, Lord God, that you are praying for us, Jesus. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. And that during this time, Lord God, the, 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 the enemy is going to up the ante. But, Lord God, we just declare that greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. And I pray that we would have not just the theology of a hope, but that we would have a living hope. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite anybody who wants to come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Today can be your day of salvation. If you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I can't preach you into the kingdom of God. This church can't hand out a ticket to heaven. You personally have to come to the one who gave his all for you. You have to come to the cross. And we all need to humble ourselves there, confess that we have sinned against God, that we're sinners. And you need to come to him to receive his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace so that you might receive the hope of eternal life. If you're here today, I'm not asking you to do something I didn't need to do myself to personally come to Christ. It happened to me a long time ago on a Sunday morning. In my father's church, there was a guest speaker and, and he called anyone who wasn't sure that they know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. Step out of their seat and come forward and give your life to Christ. And I'll never forget that day, even though it was a long time ago. Without a doubt, that's the day that my sins were washed away and I was made right with God and my guilt and shame and condemnation and anything that was there was washed away and I felt clean, clean before my God. You can have that today as well. If you want Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm not giving you a formula, but I want to help lead you to him. That's all I'm doing. Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. So I want to lead anyone here today. We'll all join together in a prayer, just giving your heart to Jesus, confessing your sin, that you come to him as your personal Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive you of all your sins that come into your heart. If you want that, I'd like you to raise your hand just acknowledging I'm including myself in this prayer today, giving my life to Jesus. And if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something, the very thing I did. I'm going to ask you after we pray together to step out of your seat and come here and stand in the front because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And, and this is the thing, man. Pride stands in our way of coming to God. It's pride. Scripture says God resists the proud, but he gives us grace to the humble. And that's what we need. We need God to grace our lives. Are you, are you willing to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? If you want to meet the Lord, would you just lift up your hand today saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in the closing prayer, giving my heart to the Lord today. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? It's, not, it's just an expression of surrender to him. Father, I thank you, O oh Lord, for the effectiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, let no one leave here today without a confidence that they know you. I pray, Lord God, that you would 
bless every home, every household, every roof over their heads. Bless their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. Let health and healing be in your lives and in your homes and the faithful provision of God. I pray that your home would be blessed, your life would be blessed with inexpressible joy like Peter talked about and peace and grace. I pray that when you go out and when you come in, the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord would rest upon you. I pray that everything in your care would be blessed, the animals, the plants, all of that, not just your descendants, but everything that you steward. I pray that you would do it as under the Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for your provision. I pray that if it takes an angel to provide, that that's how you'll do it. And God, I thank you, O oh Lord, for everyone that came here today. Let them say as they leave, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to have elders here in the front. I almost said apostles. We're going to have elders here in the front to pray for you. If you have any need today, please come forward. Let them pray for you. And God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.